0: You are now listening to the Photography Enthusiast Podcast. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Photography Enthusiast Podcast. As always, I'm your host Daniel Lee or Photos by -E E. Just as in the response to last week we're going to be doing the upsides of multiple camera brands as our main topic of using multiple camera brands this week. Some photography news as well as some personal updates which I will get into now. Although I'm technically not married while I'm recording this that's happening tomorrow by the time this podcast release I will be married so yay for us. <laughs> um, we've been together like maybe people probably don't care we've officially been together 11 years now, so that's, you know, quite a long time. Don't really have to worry about getting married. We've been together this long unmarried, so to me it shouldn't be any issue now that we are married. In fact, the whole marriage stuff is quite strange to me, so I'm going to do this little rant. So I didn't know much about de facto couples or what a de facto couple entails. entails, sorry. I don't know if it's the same in every country, but it's actually quite surprising. So what I found out is here in Australia, if you're a de facto couple, you know, so you and you've been living together for more than two years and you can prove that, you know, you have been, you're actually entitled to people's, your partner's assets. So say for, hypothetically, so say you have two people, John and Jane, John owns a, or let's say Jane owns a house, but then John doesn't own anything not related to it. You know, she bought it with her own money. They were living together for two years and all that, you know, help paying the bills, that kind of stuff. Then after that two years, they decide to break up. Because they were living together for two years and they were considered de facto, John would have an actual right to ownership of Jane's property. So he could, you know, sue her or whatever and get, she'd have to pay him for, or sell the house and give him half the funds, which to me sounds ludicrous. It also makes sense to get married in less than two years in that sense. Because if you think about it, I could, you know, John could meet Jane, say they have nothing jane insists on getting married in a year and a half which you know sounds very soon but she gets a prenup he signs it so he has no right to her assets then if they break up you know after two another year later he doesn't get anything whereas if they were living together unmarried he gets something which to me just seems so crazy i it's kind of like the scuttle scotter squatter laws i know they have in a lot of countries to me that makes no sense as well that people just stay there. All this kind of stuff just blows my mind how these laws even come about. But yeah, that's just that little thing going on. I didn't shoot vivid, still injured, managed to go to the doctors. They said, you know, I'm just too active, too much exercise. You know, as I mentioned, 70 minutes worth of hit workouts. And then on top of that, I was doing like another 15 minute walk, multiple days a week, three, four days a week. So yeah, just way too much. Still hasn't healed now. Still having to keep icing it. It's getting a little tiny bit better, I feel like, but not fast healing so you know I'm not going to be able to be on my feet as much for a while which means going out to shoot is a bit harder as well and cold ass weather plus that just could not be bothered going to Vivid. Aside from that I did get the Sigma 56mm f1.4 and it's performing beautifully on Fuji. I know I say it so casually even though I keep buying camera gear and to be honest I kind of want to buy another lens but otherwise really good and the car was honking out there if you could hear that. Another lens Fuji have that I really want to get is the XF 27mm f2.8 RWR lens, so it's a pancake lens, a very small, you know, f2.8, so around 40-41mm lens. It's kind of a tight focal length, but at the same time, you know, I do want something, a pancake lens to replace that 22mm. The lens would be excellent, mainly because, say, when I go to wrestling in August when WWE visit, I'm hoping it's still in August anyway, Because they are postponing the dates, but I want to be able to take a photo when I'm there. And uh, the arena have a strict rule lenses can't poke out more than five centimeters or something. So it would need to be, you know, a pancake lens. I was actually tempted to keep the M50 and the 22 just to be able to take photos of that, but I didn't want to lose any resale value. So we'll see how we go. I can't say for certain what the next episode of the podcast will be. I don't think I can record it live, I'll be pre recording it quite early. Not live live, but you know, like I won't be able to do news, that kind of stuff. So I'll see how I go. I would love to do the Fuji XS10 review, but that all depends on if I can get some more photos between now and then. I mainly just want maybe another Cityscape or two and maybe a portrait or two as well, and then I'll be happy with that. But otherwise we'll have to wait and see if I can get those photos done. Quite a tight schedule over the next few weeks. And as I mentioned, yeah, can't really walk too much, so have to see how we go. Otherwise that's it for personal updates and rants so on to the news. So Fuji have, well not Fuji so much, but Tamron have finally announced their 17-70mm to f2.8 for Fujifilm X mount. So Tamron is calling it this world's first wide range 4.1 standard zoom for the Fujifilm X mount. The Fuji version of this lens was Sorry, not Fuji, the Sony version of this lens was released in APS-C. Now, Fuji have finally managed to get it, which is a pretty quick turnaround, to be honest. It has a 35mm full frame equivalent of 25 to 105mm. So, you know, like a 24 to 105, which is a very, very useful range, especially for travel. Except a lot of the full frame lenses that, you know, are pretty much this size would be f4 usually a constant f4 aperture this one is a constant f2.8 aperture so it has a step up on it for that it promises superb optical performance and light weight that also has tamron built in vibration compensation technology that reduces camera shake i don't know if that would work in conjunction with ibis on bodies like the xt4 xs10 that kind of stuff or whether you know it would rely purely on a lens one because it's a third party lens That sort of stuff, I'm not too sure. It is equipped with the Quiet XRD Rapid Extra Silent Stepping Drive AF motor and the company says it exhibits minimal focus breathing. Tamron doesn't make any specific claims about the support for Fujifilm focusing features. So, you know, you don't know, we're not sure how well it will work with the Fuji bodies or if they've licensed the AF algorithm like I believe Sigma has done. It has 16 elements in 12 groups an aperture range of f2.8 to f22 via nine-bladed aperture a minimum focusing distance of 7.5 inches at the wide range and 15.4 at the long end a moisture resistance so some form of weather sealing 67 millimeter filter size and it is scheduled to release on July 8 for 1799 or 1499 AUD so if any hardcore Fuji fans listen to this they'll be sad to see that it doesn't actually have an aperture ring for me as you would know that is a plus. I don't know what I would go for this lens the size and shape of it greatly reminds me of the 16 16 sigma 16 mm f 1.4 lens so if you're familiar with that lens it looks a lot like that from what I've seen on photos which isn't a overly big lens but it's not overly small either. I believe the lens is around 350 360 grams that kind of stuff So it's a decent weight. This one has a much longer range compared to the Sigma 18 to 55 that's, you know, due to come out, which I think is more like a 17 or something to 70, that kind of thing. 28 to 70, sorry, 28 to 70 works out a bit more like that. So I will kind of lean towards the Sigma in that regard, but mainly just because of size. I think it's really tiny as well. Sigma do make decent, you know, zooms as well. I always felt Tamron were better at zooms. Sigma were better at primes, but you know, if you wanted to travel, you could literally just take like an XS10 and a 17 to 70 with you. Same goes for Sony. This lens is available. You get a 6400 or 61. 66 is a bit pricey, but you could get one of those bodies and this and you're set. Those, I don't, I think only the 6600 has IBIS. I don't even sure if it has IBIS, but I know if one of them does, it's the 6600. You could take that and this, otherwise the VC would help. It's an all-in-one, not an all-in-one zoom, either not like those 18 to 200 kind of things. This is a smaller range, so the image quality could be a bit better, but it's something you should definitely look into if you are looking to swap to Fuji and would just want one lens for travel, that kind of stuff, or just one lens that sort of does it all. This would probably be your lens. Next up, Adobe plans to make Photoshop on the web free. So Adobe has revealed that it plans to make the web-based browser version of Photoshop available to everyone for free as a way to introduce more users to the application. Adobe's vice president of digital imaging, Maria Yap, confirmed that the company is currently testing a freemium model in Canada that would allow anyone to use Photoshop on a browser through an Adobe account. The company says it has plans to lock some features off to paying subscribers in the future but did not provide details on which features it might throw behind the paywall or which ones would be always remain free. Adobe hasn't said if or when it plans to expand their test outside Canada, nor did it provide details on when the program might fully launch. It launched last October as a public beta. The platform is powerful for Adobe to start target sorry. The platform is powerful for Adobe to target younger creatives since it can work on Google Chromebooks, which are one of the leading computers that are deployed in classrooms. Dipping into a freemium market is almost certainly a response to PixArt and its business model, however, which shows how seriously Adobe is taking the upstart photo editor. I'll be very curious what features they hide behind the paywall. So I would say likely a lot of your automation features, say your bokeh modes, you know, that kind of stuff, neural filters, sorry, I think they're called the sky replacement, panoramas, photo merge, that kind of stuff. I think a lot of those will be locked behind the paywalls. But I think they'll have to keep some other features as well, certain masking types, certain other stuff. Because if they just have everything besides that, I think a lot of people would just use that free version. They wouldn't want to. I know you have to have an Adobe account to do this. So I would say it's more them doing offering this thing is more as like a gateway to get people into Photoshop, as they say. But it's also so they can see, you know, how you use it, what kind of images you're using, that kind of habit. So you would have to be very careful of how you use it. To me that's why they do it as a freemium and just more focus on the adobe account but I could be wrong, obviously if this test goes outside Canada then we'll get to see more but we'll just yeah, have to wait and see what happens. Next up Venus Optics unveils the 90mm f2.8 2x ultra macro for full frame mirrorless cameras. So they've announced it for the Canon RF mount, Nikon Z mount, Sony E and Nike L mount full frame cameras. The lens comes four years after Venus Optics launched its 100mm f2.8 two times ultra, ultra macro APO and becomes the 8th addition to the Laowa 2-1 two, two to one magnification macro lens lineup. The lens magnification ranges from 0.1 times to 2 times which the company says allows photographers to capture objects of different sizes easily without having to swap a different lens. An aperture range of f2.8 through f22, 13 bladed aperture, Fully manual focus lens, minimum focus distance of 20.5 centimeters, 67 millimeter filter thread, internal focus 619 grams, otherwise known as 1.36 pounds, 13 elements in 10 groups, and the Venix, op- this lens pretty much is available for all four full frame mirrors directly from the company's website for 500 USD, I assume. This kind of lens does interest me more now because as a macro, I kind of don't like the Canon. RF 85 millimeter. I feel like 85 is too short. Canon did do an EF 180 millimeter. I think at a minimum 100 to 105 is a lot better, especially if it's a full one to one lens. Whereas, you know, for example, maybe 85 would be okay if it was full one to one or two to one like this lens. But because the Canon isn't full one to one, it's just a half macro. It's, you know, more of a close focus lens. It doesn't work for me. Something like this would definitely be of interest to me. I'd have to see more image samples, reviews, that kind of stuff to really get an idea of it before I consider buying it. But it's definitely something that interests me and maybe in the future, who knows, I'll try give it a try. Last but not least, Nikon confirms the D5600 and D3500 DSLRs have been discontinued. Nikon has announced that production of those two DSLRs has ended, confirming a report from last year. Nikon says that both DX models DSLRs are being discontinued to focus R&D efforts on higher-end photography products for professionals and hobbyists and to concentrate on models with improved video capabilities, which the company says is a trend among young photographers. In late 2021, Nikon had designated both cameras as old products, signaling that their production life would soon be coming to an end. Nikon has said that while no new stock will be replenished for both models, the cameras will continue to be sold until inventory has been depleted. The D3500 has a retail price of around 415 and the D5600 has a retail price slightly higher at 550. Petapixel expects these prices to drop the closer, you know, stocks get lower, just trying to get rid of all that stock. I don't really know the Nikon DSLR lineup as well. I know the higher end ones. I know like, you know, your D760 or D750, I don't even know what the new one D eight fifty. The D6, you know, I know those levels. I know the some APS-C, like I think it's like the D7000 was like, or D500 was their, you know, 7D equivalent. I don't even see this, how much I know about Nikon DSLRs, the lower end ones. I assume these are like your Canon real entry level rebel kind of cameras. So I don't think there's much of a, like a loss at them getting rid of this. I personally don't know if they will replace a mirrorless camera, or sorry, not replace it, release a mirrorless version to replace them. I don't think Canon or Nikon are really making money or anyone's making money from the lower end. The you know money seems to be from the higher end. Sony had proved that with their sales model and their real lens body lineup. So I think that's why Canon and Nikon are really focusing on the higher end. Over time, we may see something very cheap but just very limited options that doesn't get updated that often all they need to do is use the sensor and focus system from a different camera with an old sensor so that way they save a lot of money on r&d just something to be released out there something cheap that they do have an option there if someone still insists on using one of these you know real entry-level dslrs or you know entry-level cameras pretty much ilcs for me you know i'll never mourn a dslr no matter what dslr they discontinue next I would not be sad about it because there's a mirrorless camera there waiting for you that will do a better job and will be more fun to use, my opinion, obviously. Don't tell Pentax that, otherwise Pentax will hate me, even though they don't know who I am. Well, onto the main topic. As I mentioned earlier, this is sort of like a quick follow-up to the previous week's topic. You know, I've always thought that shooting multiple brands is great. I'm not a brand loyal person, I'm probably the furthest thing from it. Much like cameras, you know, cameras people like to fight, have wars over which one's best. The same thing goes for video games and gaming. Some people swear by Xbox. Uh, Xbox. Well, Xbox. Yeah, Xbox is correct. I don't know why I'm thinking X pac like in wrestling. So I'll, my mind's too WWE these days. But oh, that's another one. People, you know, go AEW versus WWE, Xbox versus PlayStation, PC versus everything. For me, I'm not a brand person. Even with my gaming, I own a PC, a Nintendo Switch, a PS5. But not an Xbox, mainly because the games on there are the exact same as PC, so it's very pointless for me to buy one. But what I'm getting here is I like shooting. You know, I like owning everything of all brands. If they have something that's beneficial to me, I would want to own it. I don't really care about what brand is on that box or on that item or anything like that. To me, you're gonna have you know the best options to choose from, much more options. I thought of a joke I was gonna tell them that I learned in high school. You know, my teacher said to me, but not very appropriate and not very. <laughs> Yeah, not very purpose. I'll just leave it. (laughs) But here's like, I would say there's not as many reasons to give why shooting multiple brands is good, but to me, they're a lot bigger. So the first one is you're pretty much having the best gear of anything and the best of both worlds in a sense, or all worlds, not both. So say, you know, you're currently shooting with Canon and you love the 135mm focal length, but you hate adapters. You're stuck. What are you going to do? But at the same time, you love the RF 85mm f1.2L DS which you know Sony don't really have an option so what are you going to do you could simply just buy the Sony body with the 135 art and not art, 135 GM and then still keep your Canon or say you shoot weddings and you need two body setup you really love the Canon RF 85mm but you also want a 35mm that's like at least 1.4 and Canon only currently have the f1.8 and you don't want to spend the money on the hundred, um the 35L, which honestly is overpriced for it's a it was an amazing lens when it came out, but in this day and age it should be a lot cheaper. But yeah, say you're in that situation, easy. Get an A74 or something, and the 35 GM. There you go, you're set for that. And then your second body will be the Canon R5, R6, or whatever, with the RF 85mm attached. So you got your 3585 combo, all good to go. Say you like the Canon 28 to 70. F2L, that one is your main body, but you also want a 7200s for some more long stuff. Boom! Canon for that. Sony get their really tiny, really nice 7200 F2.8 GM. See, there's like, it works a lot better. You know, some for Nikon, you might want the 14 to 30. It's a great range, quite a bit cheaper than the Canon version as well, but then you want, you know, 100 to 400. There's so many different combos you can get. Like what I do, you know, now for Fuji, you have one lens on that, another lens on another. There's so many different ways you can mix and match. So it works out so much better for you. You're not limited. So you know your kit could be made up of different lenses, the 35 and the 85 on Canon. Whereas you have your zooms on Fuji or Nikon or Sony. Because you know sometimes the, the brands uh not the brands, sorry, the lenses available on a first party system from a first party could be more appealing. So, you know, what are you gonna do? You're just gonna not use that focal length or just you know have two bodies of the same brand and just miss out on that lens why you know when you can own two it's a lot more fun in that way like i said shooting events will be good if for example this one's a bit of a cheat but you got to look at the lman alliance so leica panasonic sony and now dji as well they've joined the lman alliance say you do shoot video for example you're into that that floats your boat tickles your pickle <laughs> and you want to do video on one body and stills on the other you could get panasonic for your video and then you could get Leica, a Leica body for your stills and thanks to the L-Man Alliance, you could use the same lenses on two different body systems, which is obviously a great great thing there. So that's like a bit of a cheating scenario in that sense because you're technically shooting different brands and you are getting the best, you know, best video, I always see Panasonic praise for their video and then Leica for your stills, I don't know if they're the best for stills, certainly most expensive, but that's one way. And contrary to the previous one where I said you can't share your lenses always, you can share lenses sometimes. So that L Mount Alliance is a great example of where you could share lenses. And then if you have certain bodies, the lenses, you know, say I believe Nikon lenses work on Sony with an adapter, or it's the opposite way around. Sony, I think Sony lenses work on Nikon bodies, I believe. So that would be a good way of doing it. You can use adapters you know EF lenses FX lenses I believe on Sony I think anyway I don't know about FX I know EF definitely work on there but that's another way of doing it so you you know you don't not tie to one brand you can get lenses your favorite lenses you love the 135L the EF version but you have a Sony get your Metabones or your what was the other one Metabones and Sigma that's it I can't even remember the name of the Sigma one but you can get that Sigma adapter that works really well certain adapters work better for certain lenses but there's another major benefit there. So yeah, as I mentioned, it's not like as big of an argument I feel as against using multiple camera brands, even though I'm in the brand, not so much I'm in the camp that I think it's better to own multiple camera brands just because you get like best of both worlds, but others don't, you know, even if like you do what I do, whereas you want APS-C and full frame. For Canon, Nikon, Sony, their APS-C is okay, but I would say they're not. Most areas aren't as good as Fuji. Fuji, you know, best lens range for native APS-C lenses, really amazing colors. Obviously, AF, I would say, I don't know about Nikon APS-C. Sony and Canon AF will probably beat Fuji pretty easy, to be honest. Don't hate me, Fuji users, but they are they were better when, from what I've experienced for APS-C, for Canon, at least anyway. And I know Sony pretty much matched that. They have real-time tracking on a lot of their bodies from the AE6400 and up, that kind of stuff. But there are lots of benefits. It's pretty much how you always look at it as well. Editing wise, you know, if you use Capture One or something, you may get a free license for your Sony or Fuji that that lets you use all brands. I believe they're usually locked to that one camera rand or raw type. But if you did, for some reason, get a license that lets you use anything, like an express version, then yeah, you're set for that as well. A lot of other equipment you can easily just adapt. So with my Godox flash gear, I can use it on any single camera brand. I just need to buy the adapter to use it. The X-Pro S for Sony, X-Pro C for Canon, X-Pro F, Fuji, that kind of stuff. But yeah, that's pretty much it for this episode. I know I probably didn't give as much of a compelling argument for using multiple camera brands, but to me, the fact that, you know, you can have the best of both worlds, don't have to limit yourself that enough. You know is enough of a reason for me. To me that weighs overweighs the downsides, but each person will be different. Some people prefer that uniformity of just having the one thing. Otherwise, thank you very much for listening. If you did enjoy this episode, please make sure to subscribe. If not, I'm not sure there's probably people, you know, God will kill kittens if you don't subscribe. Honestly, no, I'm joking. Otherwise, thank you very much for listening. If you want to listen to more episodes, you can find, you know, them in your favorite podcast app where it's Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts. You can, in the show notes, you'll find links to all the news articles we discuss. And as well, if you want to see more reviews, tutorials, more podcast episodes, you can go to enthusiast.com. If you want to follow me, see my personal work. My personal blog is photosbydowe.com. My Twitter handle, you know, I mostly post on Twitter and Flickr. Photos always come to my blog way before anywhere else because I just like to post there first. But otherwise, yeah, photos by D-O-W-E on Twitter. If you're a follower on my old Twitter, the Mr. Meowpuss, you're welcome to follow me on there. But I don't really post my photography on there. All I do is talk about wrestling, games, that kind of stuff. So probably, you know, if you don't want to see that stuff, it's not best. But otherwise, thank you very much for listening. Take care. See you in two weeks. Bye.